Biennial Trees for Trash program. It's easy. It's free. You'll receive a Siberian spruce seedling for helping out. Just bring your load of trash to the city landfill on East Ridge Road between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 7th to get your free tree. Let's all recognize and support this year's Trees for Trash sponsors with a big thank you to ERA Carroll Realty, U.S. Bank, Wyoming Corporate Office, Landon's Greenhouse and Nursery, and, of course, the City of Sheridan. Mark your calendar now for Saturday, May 7th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the City Landfill for the 2022 Sheridan Media Trees for Trash. Alpha Graphics is expanding. We recently acquired Sheridan Printing and have moved our shop to a new, larger location. We're now located at 2266 North Main, next door to the Social Security Office. Our office is open while construction is in progress. Or, if you'd rather, you can contact us by calling 674-6227 or online at alphagraphicsheridan.com. We look forward to working with all of you in 2022. You can listen to this Sheridan Media radio station on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Sheridan Media is live streaming our radio stations. So if you don't have a radio handy or you're out of town, just go to SheridanMedia.com. Find the radio station you want to listen to. Click on the link. Turn up the volume. Each station has current local news, weather, sports, and more. You can take your favorite Sheridan Media radio station wherever you go. On your smartphone, tablet, or your computer. Anywhere. SheridanMedia.com. When you're in pain, it causes stress. Even minor pain is telling you something's not right. And early detection is the best path to relief. Make a call to Dr. Colin Hardy of Atlas Chiropractic. Not only can he alleviate your pain, but also reduce physical stress and boost and maintain proper immune system function. Chiropractic is a natural immune booster. With each adjustment, they're not only supporting the central nervous system through proper spinal function and alignment, but also stimulating and strengthening the immune system by removing nerve interferences and stressors that can drag it down. Call 307-672-6000 for details and scheduling with the top chiropractic clinic in Sheridan, Atlas Chiropractic. This is Dr. Colin Hardy with Atlas Chiropractic. Be sure to ask us about our new patient specials. Take the first step to a better you. Call 672-6000. That's 672-6000. Your healing begins when you pick up the phone. This is Public Pulse, your information and conversation program, brought to you by Elias and Financial. You can voice your opinion by calling 672-KROE. That's 672-5763. Now, your host for Public Pulse, Floyd Whitey. Good morning and welcome to Public Pulse. I hope everybody made it through the weekend. That uh, <laughs> stayed nice and warm. Uh, we are brought to you by Elias and Financial. Now, the museum at the Bighorns opened for the season with a visiting exhibit, Healthcare on the Crow and Northern Cheyenne Reservations, courtesy of the Western Heritage Center. This exhibit, uh, we've talked about it at length, but if you, if you don't know what it is, this explores experiences and history of those under the government healthcare system on the Crow and Northern Cheyenne Reservations through decades. And joining me to talk about this and all things Museum of the Bighorns is the president of the Museum of the Bighorns, Edry Meyer, and board member Becky Spees. Over the phone, 
We are joined by board member and graduate of Dartmouth College, Mr. Bill Yellowtail. Good morning, Museum at the Bighorns, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Now, Mr. Yellowtail, uh, thank you for joining us by phone this morning. Uh, Are you still snowed in up there? Uh, Yes, sir. We received uh, a little over two feet of snow up here uh, at the very foot of the Bighorns. And so you are you're kind of buried right now, aren't you? <laughs> yes, we are. We have six miles of uh, country road that never gets plowed, oh, so uh, we're Ooh. drifted in. <laughs> now, Mr. Yellowtail, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what this exhibit is about? Well, the exhibit chronicles and more importantly analyzes the transition from the trusted healthcare practices of the buffalo days to reliance on unfamiliar scientific medicine uh, this is an experience that all uh indigenous communities had as they came into uh contact and and uh, um, relationships with Euro-American science and, and uh, medicine and culture. Uh, to be sim- uh, simplistic, it's been a cautious cultural journey. And uh, I say simplistic because not only uh, is it and I use the present term because this issue still remains. Um, It's uh, not only a cultural journey, but a policy and legal journey as well. Um, One can grasp that difficulty for the Crow and Northern Cheyenne then as it is today across our country. If you take, for example, the rather tenuous acceptance of COVID vaccinations and face masks. Um, As everyone knows, that has not been a simple or straightforward um, uh, acceptance process. You see, uh, reservation health care is now uh, directed, funded, and administered by uh, the United States Public Health Service uh, in the auspices of a, a branch called the Indian Health Service. So when we refer to the IHS, that's, uh, that's who we were speaking of, the Indian Health Service. Sir, so... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Yeah, please. Well, I just wanted to say that uh, funding has always been an issue, even though this health care is a contractual promise from the treaties uh, between the tribes and the uh, United States back in the 1800s. What was health care like while you were growing up, sir? 
Well, I I uh, personally was born in Sheridan, actually, and uh, personally, you know, I I uh, with my family uh, did our health care, frankly, uh, as a split between Sheridan and uh, the IHS hospital in Crow Agency. Um, we received great care in Sheridan and sometimes uh, um, unpredictable health care at Crow Agency. And when you say unpredictable, uh, what uh, what reference are we looking at that word? Okay. Yeah, thanks for asking. Actually, I mean that uh, practically every time you went there, hopefully not often, but uh, when you went there, it would not be uh, surprising or unusual to meet a different provider, uh, um, a different doctor. Uh, the reason being that the doctors typically are on uh, short, uh, uh, short-term, uh, short-term uh, assignments, and uh, so there was a high. There was and remains a very high turnover rate. So that's that's why uh, I say unpredictable. Now. These these short residencies, I mean, those could be frustrating in themselves, but when we actually talk about the quality of the health care that was administered to the indigenous peoples, how, how would you rate that? Well, you know, I would say that uh, uh, quality of health care was uh, suspect. Uh, you know, I'm 74 years old, so <clears throat> that was a while ago. But uh, there wasn't much trust, and for several reasons. Uh, you know, people uh, had counted on, depended on, um, you know, the old, the old methods of, of health care, uh, tried and true over centuries, and, uh, you know, and were cautious about accepting uh, this new science-based um, health care. And then secondly, uh, to be quite frank about it, uh, we did not always receive uh, the best trained uh, hospital personnel in those days. Doctors were often uh, fresh out of their residencies and were, were uh, uh, getting their feet wet at uh, the IHS hospital. So, uh, you know, knowing that, there just just wasn't very much confidence. Now, uh, during this time period, there's a section of the exhibit that actually talks and touches upon uh, various atrocities uh, that uh, took place on some of these reservations without the knowledge of young indigenous women. Um, do you care to make a, a comment on uh, what people can learn from this exhibit uh, if they head up there and, and, and read these these informative panels? Well, uh, I think 
we learn that uh, health care is not always benign, uh, depending on the the mood of the culture in the country, and uh, by outside influences. Um, I think what the exhibit uses for an example is uh, the the policy of uh, eugenics. It's called that is the the uh, uh, discouragement of reproduction by people who were considered uh, and are considered, I mean, speaking worldwide yet these days, uh, people who are considered either undesirable or undeserving of uh, reproduction. So that's a big word to say that women were often sterilized uh, and against their wills at the uh, IHS facilities. This was during, uh, well, most of the 20th century, clear up to the 1970s. As you might know, eugenics was a widespread policy in the early part of the the 20th century. So uh, it certainly operated here. And... uh, uh, as I say, against women's uh, preferences. Yes, ab- absolutely. And some sometimes, uh, you know, I, I've seen the exhibit, and uh, it just it just shocks me at uh, some of the things that had happened uh, in some of these offices. Now, what is health care like on these reservations now? Um, it, how has it changed? Well, uh, it's still difficult. Um, We still have declining funding, even in spite of the fact that our populations are growing and uh, the needs are are, uh, burgeoning as well. Uh, So funding is is a big issue. At Crow Agency... Uh, where the IHS hospital for both the Crow and Northern Cheyenne communities exists, um, you know, we have a, a very good facility, um, never mind that it's uh, pretty near 30 years old, um, but, but we have trouble recruiting uh, medical doctors. Uh, the few that that stay these days are really committed individuals committed to to health care and particularly in this area of of uh, great need but they're they're really good people and and capable individuals others still come and go you know they, many of them are uh uh, members of the, the U.S. Navy Commissioned Corps, and they're on, you know, finite tempor- temporary assignments to the Crow, Crow Northern Cheyenne Hospital. 
So it's it's really a mixed bag. I'm sorry to say. Uh, um, of course, you know now most Crow and Northern Cheyenne people do depend on on uh, contemporary scientific medicine. Uh, so the reliance, uh, which is you know fine, there's still folks that that bring along their their traditional healthcare people uh, largely for spiritual assistance and uh, and I must say fortunately these days uh, the the doctor uh, the medical corps are are not only tolerant but welcome such uh, uh, such accompaniment much more um, much more uh, open to using indigenous traditional medicine than they were in previous exactly. decades now so real quick what would you exactly. like what would you like folks to take away uh from this exhibit when they go up and they see it and and for me it was somewhat of a shock i i always knew that uh the reservations didn't get the amount of of support that uh, they were promised but i walked away from this shocked what would you like folks to walk away with uh after seeing this exhibit well uh, I would like, uh, and we would like to have folks uh, walk away informed. It's an extremely informative historical presentation. Um, but that's part of the function of history. That is, we should uh, we should understand it. Uh, but then we need to. Um, live for our future. Uh, by that I mean we should walk away uh, willing to say, okay, where do we go from here? It's It's been difficult perhaps, uh, but, but where do we go from here? And, you know, I, anyone, everyone is entitled and encouraged to uh, – to ask that kind of question. Absolutely. Uh, I've got to take a quick commercial break. When we return, we will continue with the Museum of the Big Horns. This is Public Pulse at 930 KROE, 103.9 FM. Shared. Building wealth isn't easy. It takes hard work, commitment, and expertise. That's where Elias and Financial comes in. Let our advisors help ensure your money works just as hard as you do. So retirement, college funds, and big family vacations stay on track, no matter what surprises come your way. To learn more about who we are and what our wealth management advisors can do for you, visit Elias and Financial online or call 307-672-3010. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., Member FINRA, SIPC. You've been procrastinating. Admit it. Your car's been needing a tune-up, but you've just been so busy being awesome. How awesome will that summer road trip be when your car breaks down, leaving you stranded? 
Perhaps scheduling an appointment with Midas to get that tune-up is a good idea. They'll let you know what needs fixing and what can wait. If you need shocks and struts, you'll save up to 100 bucks through April 30th. Keep your car running safely with a few more coins in your pocket at Midas Tire and Auto in Sheridan. Birds of a feather will flock together on Thursday, April 28th as Science Kids and Sheridan Community Land Trust host Unplug with Discovery Sessions, Herons at Home. From 5 to 6 p.m., Dr. Julie Reeder will share stories about the fascinating lives of herons while we observe these majestic yet lumbering feathered friends prep their rookery. Park and meet at Sportsman's Warehouse, and we'll see you on Thursday, April 28th. More info at SheridanCLT.org. Volunteers of America is excited to announce the Empty Bowl event is back. Join us at the Sheridan Fairgrounds on April 28th from 5 to 6.30 for great soups, live music, and family-friendly fun. Your ticket purchase provides important services for our neighbors in need. Tickets are available now online at boanr.org backslash Empty Bowl. This event is supported in part by Sheridan Media. At Sheridan Memorial Hospital, our volunteers are the heart of our organization. Each of our volunteers are so unique, yet bonded by their kindness and generosity to serve. Last year, our volunteers donated over 5,000 hours of selfless service throughout the hospital by giving of their time and talents. During National Volunteer Month, we would like to acknowledge and thank all of our volunteers for their support and dedication to providing excellent patient care in our community. Sheridan Memorial Hospital, medical excellence right here at home. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, brought to you by Eliason Financial. I'm Floyd Whiting, and with me this morning is the president of the Museum of the Bighorns, Edrie Meyer, and board member Becky Spees. Over the phone, we are joined by board member Bill Yellowtail. Now, Edrie, how have things been going up at the museum so far this year? They have been busy, and I was really surprised. And a lot of local people, and I think it's because of this radio show, show that come up to see the exhibits that haven't been there before, and so that's the change. Usually we get mostly people from out of town that are looking for historical experiences and wanting to be directed, and we're kind of like a – we have a really nice location. We're kind of like a, a travel and tourism for history. So. And I, thank you. I take that as a big compliment. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we might be getting more people up there, which I yeah. think is great. Uh, you know, an interest in your own local history Correct. has always been something that has been a big draw for me uh, ever since I was a little kid. And it's because of my father. He used to drive us around and say, that happened there, that happened there. And when you're a kid, you're like, who cares? But as I grew up, yeah. now I drive my own daughter around and I say, that happened there, <laughs> that happened over there. And that she'll do the same and her daughter or her son will roll their eyes at them. <laughs> it really does. It really does. It adds so much to your to your own area. Now, uh, what other uh, exhibits are we going to be looking at this year if we head on up there? Oh, I, I, there's a really good exhibit on the uh, forest, Bighorn Forest, that I like people to see and people enjoy. And then another new exhibit the girls have done is the has to do with the land and the, the ranchers that built this country. And there's just so much to learn. I mean, just go up and see it. And I would love to have a bunch of ranchers come up oh, there yeah. and just look around and learn about that stuff. Yeah. And, Becky, what, you guys got some big events planned for this year. What can we expect? I'm so glad you asked. Yes. Um, we've got a really good fundraising committee this year. We've got a full schedule coming up. 
Um, just want to show we're grateful to all those that consider donating to the museum so we can continue to bring these wonderful programs and uh, um, exhibits that we have there. Um, we have on May 4th, we've got a bingo night uh, at Black Tooth Brewery. Um, looking forward to that. And, of course, May is our Historic Preservation Month, uh, so we want to make sure that you know that we are having a community open house on May 14th. That's free admission from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And um, part of that Historic Preservation Month you'll be seeing on our Facebook and Instagram. If you're not following us yet, please find uh, the museum at the Bighorns and, and follow us. Um, they'll be doing a weekly blog in May uh, just to cover our Historic Preservation Month. So definitely worth a look there. Um, then on uh, May 22nd, we're going to be having a pancake feed. Um, that's going to be during the Eaton's Horse Drive, which will also include a silent auction. Um, if you can come visit us then, we've got a great uh, deck and, and yard to sit in and enjoy enjoy that. I sure would appreciate your attendance there. Um, we get, I think it's $10, is that right, Eddie? Yeah, yeah. $10 and free admission. So please come attend that. And the last item I want to mention is our golf tournament on June 3rd, uh, Kendrick Golf Course. We'll be uh, needing to get some more teams going. Um, definitely, if your business would like to help support us uh, with that, contact me, uh, Becky Spies, at 307-899-4094 or Teresa Bonnet-Nelson at 307-752-0991. Um, teams are going quickly, and we sure would appreciate your help. So that's what I have. And, folks, uh, just so you know, the museum at the Bighorns is your museum. And like yeah. so many things in life, you will get out of it yeah. what you put into exactly. it, won't you? Exactly. Yep. Now, now, uh, what are your operating hours right now, Edry? Well, this month, uh, because of tra travelers are down there, we're just open in the afternoons. But starting May 1st, we will be open from 9 to 5. And, uh Thanks to AARP, we will have a couple of senior people at the front desk greeting you when you come in. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. So we want to get people back involved in the museum, and that, that's our, our goal. Yeah. And with all these great exhibits going on in this yeah. traveling museum, or this traveling exhibit, uh, dealing with uh, health care up at these reservations, you know, I think that is something that everybody should take part in. Uh, we as a community, uh, and when I say we, I mean all of us together. Uh, I, I loved Mr. Yellowtail's message that uh, you know, hey, let's let's look at what happened. Yeah. Let's let's really acknowledge this, but then let's take each other by the hand and go forward from here. Uh, I, I can't can't have a better message than that. Um, I want to thank you two for joining us this morning. Sure. Uh, and, and Mr. Yellowtail, I'm sorry you couldn't be here. I would love to have you on the show uh, again if you were open to that. I would absolutely love to have you again. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. And I would be very uh, grateful for an opportunity to just converse with you more. Yeah, that I would think, be great. I think we thank can make you. a whole show out of this, sir. All right. Now. When we return, we're going to talk with the Wyoming Archaeological Society. This morning is just a, a morning of history. This is Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Share it.
Building wealth isn't easy. It takes hard work, commitment, and expertise. That's where Eliason Financial comes in. Let our advisors help ensure your money works just as hard as you do. So retirement, college funds, and big family vacations stay on track, no matter what surprises come your way. To learn more about who we are and what our wealth management advisors can do for you, visit Eliason Financial online or call 307-672-3010. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., Member FINRA, SIPC. Are you wondering what your business is worth? Or have you considered buying or selling a business? Contact me, Alicia Cox, Certified Valuation Professional, at Harker Mellinger to discuss how a business valuation can help you determine the proper values in gifting, estate planning, and the purchase or sale of your business. Harker Mellinger has been providing professional valuation services since 1995. Schedule an appointment today to discuss how a business valuation can work for you. Harker Mellinger, located at 1811 South Sheridan Avenue in Sheridan. Sheridan Community Land Trust and the Sheridan College Native American Student Organization will host a special discovery session, Messages from Medicine Wheel Country, using archaeological data, genetic evidence, and contemporary cultural sensibilities. Dr. Shane Doyle will describe how Native people have thrived for hundreds of generations in the Bighorns. Join us Wednesday, April 27th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. at Sheridan College. For more information, go to Sheridan CL. Do you enjoy dressing up in big hats and bow ties? Do you fancy buying food and drinks? Mark your calendars, buy your tickets, and pick out your favorite outfit for the downtown Kentucky Derby Party Saturday, May 7th in Grinnell Plaza. Food from Verdello and Chef Don King. Live music by the Nate Champion Band and classic mint juleps. Funds support the Downtown Sheridan Association, helping enhance, preserve, and promote our historic downtown district. Get your tickets now at downtownsheridan.org. Ready for a new career? TrueBuilt Builders, Sheridan's leader in custom post frame buildings and homes, for over 24 years is expanding their workforce and is currently taking applications for all skill levels. You'll work for a community-oriented building company that's been supporting local sports teams, rodeo, FFA, 4-H, and more. You'll be offered a competitive wage depending on your experience with an opportunity for advancement and training. Contact Jim or Brenda at TrueBuilt Builders, 752-0631 or email. Email truebuiltjobs at bcn.com. Is it time to get down on one knee and ask her for her hand? At Legacy Diamond and Gems, finding her dream engagement ring just got easier. Legacy offers hundreds of styles in the store or explore their website for inspiration. Looking for a gorgeous and unique engagement ring? Legacy's in-house jewelers can bring your ideas to life with original craftsmanship and quality second to none. Legacy Diamond and Gems, downtown Sheridan, online at LegacyDiamondGems.com. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, brought to you by Elias and Financial. I'm Floyd Whiting, and for the second part of our show, I am joined by Kristen Campbell and Christine Vera from the Wyoming Archaeological Society. Good morning, ladies. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, happy to have you here. I love archaeology. Um, it's something that I, I think every child should uh, at least get a view of, of what you guys do. Uh, it is such a fascinating science. And when I was in history class, somebody once told me that archaeology is actually the study of someone's garbage. Would would you say that? Would you would you agree with that? Definitely. Christine? Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I think. Um, you know, when you look at archaeology, especially locally, you can find lots of examples of people's garbage from, from way back. So 
Um, but, and that's the whole point of this conference, I think, is trying to engage people, um, not just archaeologists, but people throughout the community um, into archaeology, get them excited, get them engaged, and um, really represent, you know, what we have here in Wyoming. It's such a unique area, mm-hmm. uh, our area. It goes back you know, what, 11,000, 12,000 years mankind has been here, Yeah. Uh, which is absolutely fascinating. They've got evidence uh, from a site that you and I, I was telling you ladies about before we got on here, from 11,000 years ago, they can find evidence of a, a hunting camp that had been there for a long time by then. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, we live in an absolutely uh, archaeologically rich area. Now, who is the Wyoming Archaeological Society, and what do you do? Yeah, so um, actually, you know, the Sheridan chapter, I'm here representing the Sheridan-Johnson County chapter, um, started with, they were one of the first chapters of the Archaeological Society, so there's chapters throughout the state, but ours is actually the oldest. It started in 1954, which is kind of cool. Um, and then it kind of evolved uh, into more of uh, people from the community saying, hey, here's what I found on my land. You know, what do we know about this? Into more of, you know, uh, enlisting professionals to come in and advise them. And so now our main focus, the group's main focus is, is just that, just education. And we focus on bringing those professionals from the Forest Service or the BLM locally. Um, we have our meetings um, every Thursday uh, excuse me, once a month on Thursdays at the what's now the Ramada Inn. And um, they give presentations. You know, it's just kind of a smaller, intimate setting, usually 12 to 15 people um, listening about, you know, concerns or resources, uh, sites from across the, the state, and, um, you know, focusing on the scientific method and why it's important to, to know these things. So um, we try and bridge you know, the gap between the professionals and the avocationals and those people that are interested. Because I think what happens is, you know, scientifically, archaeology has become so technical that a lot it's hard for a lot of people to relate to it. And so that's what we're trying to do is just kind of bring that technological aspect um, to the people on more of a local level. Really uh, pretty far from the days of Indiana Jones. Absolutely. You know, yeah. <laughs> now there's so much technically that goes with it, and, mm-hmm. and you can look at an object so much more closely than you guys could before. Mm-hmm. And and the the practices of preservation have come a very long way. Yeah. Uh, and 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 just out of curiosity, how many sites uh, do we have around our area that you know of? Right oh. off the top of your, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but right off the top of your head. Yeah. So I was just looking at the statewide strategic preservation plan and you know i can say confidently we have about 10 sites listed on the uh the register in sheridan county but i don't know i would imagine it's in the hundreds maybe even thousands for yeah sites. i think documented archaeological sites in sheridan county that there might be 2,000 or so um there are some counties in Wyoming that have upwards of 20,000 documented archaeological sites. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is absolutely impressive. And, and what, what do we find mostly? Are, are we talking primitive tools? Are we talking shards from napping? Uh, what's really the one thing that Wyoming has more than just about anybody? Ooh, good question. I don't know about anybody, but I think it is, you know, that, that – chips or flakes because stone technology is a reductive technology. So you take a rock and you have to remove pieces of that rock 
to make your tools. So you end up with lots of trash or flakes. And then you have that one, you know, little tool, which might be a projectile point, a scraper. And those kinds of things are what you find the most of because rocks are hard and they stay around for a long time. But we do have, you know, some examples of preservation in, in the county. Um, some of the drier areas where you might find uh, in, like, caves and stuff like that, some, you know, arrows with fletching still. or Oh, or, wow. Um, just with some place where weather like couldn't that. have gotten to it. Yeah. And, yeah. Is, you know, not in Sheridan County, but the southern portion of the Bighorns, you know, is a lot more conducive to the preservation of some of those more delicate materials. And so those flakes, you know, what always flabbergasted me uh, when I was out at a site, one of the archaeologists had a handful of little bitty rocks. And when I say little bitty, I mean little bitty rocks. Mm -hmm. And he sat there and separated all of these rocks from this one particular one that was in the middle. And he said, there you go. There's a nap. Hmm. How the heck could he figure out? And and you guys just have the eye for that. You're trained mm-hmm. how to identify the smallest fragment of a rock that could have been a nap, and that just surprises the heck out of me. How many years does that take to study? Gosh, I don't know. I feel like it doesn't take very long once you're shown it. But there are, I mean, Kristen's master's degree is in that type of thing. Um, go ahead, Kristen. Oh, you know, I think it just takes practice. Like when you're on the ground to to be able to see Things and you're just looking for, you know, what's just slightly different, um, you know, than the than the surrounding rocks and and you know debris out there. But when, once you get the hang of it, it's it's pretty easy to to see and everything jumps out at you. Especially because the materials that are used for stone tool technology out here tend to kind of they might be a little bit brighter, so you might have a nice chert that's red and then it's shiny, um, and you can see it and it'll stand out on the landscape. What got you into archaeology? You know, I, growing up, we went camping in the American Southwest for uh, spring break, and I just always, always loved it. And I'm really lucky to be one of those people that gets to do my dream job. So it's not going to work for you. You're 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 getting up to go do what you want to do. Oh yeah, and I do it on my free time. I do it, <laughs> you know, all the time. Christine, what about you? What got you interested in? So I'm originally from Florida, and um, a lot of my ancestors uh, they founded the area around St. Augustine, Florida, um, which is the oldest city in the United States. And um, so that kind of got me interested. A lot of family history there that we we know a lot about, thanks to my uh, my mom and her family. So then, um, you know, I think archaeology and the Rocky Mountain region is just amazing. You've got the stone circles. You obviously have a lot of opportunities to interact with tribes more so than you do in Florida. And so I came out here, um, you know, in pursuit of, of jobs um, around archaeology and then just never left. <laughs> How long have you been here? 13 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Uh, we are lucky to have such a passionate archaeologist. And if you're passionate about it, uh, you guys have a spring meeting coming up. Now, with this spring meeting, can anybody join in on this? Yes. Uh, uh, someone who maybe is just interested because, hey, I found an arrowhead once and it kind of sparked something, but I never pursued it. Uh-huh. They can attend this. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're really hoping um, that happens. You know, it's really emphasize that this conference, there's something for everybody. 
Um, I think, you know, the the free workshop is something that I really wanted to highlight because this is an opportunity for um, the staff from the State Historic Preservation Office, or SHPO, uh, to come in and talk to folks, um, you know, who are interested in preservation and um, knowledgeable about the incentives and the process around how to go about getting possible grants, tax incentives. Maybe people are interested in listing their property on the National Register of Historic Places, so there's going to be um, those topics covered by the state. So just a huge resource to this community. The fact that you can sit down um, with the staff and, and maybe discuss aspects of a project um, is just going to be incredible. So hopefully you're going to capture more of those preservation-minded folks in that workshop. Um, but Saturday we've got uh, a lot of students from the University of Wyoming and throughout the region that will come and give paper presentations, so more of a very scientific um, type talk, but still uh, relevant to Wyoming and the resources around Wyoming. And, um, and then the state archaeologist, Dr. Um, Spencer Pelton, will be here presenting at the banquet Saturday night. And he's just a huge resource of information. Um, he, I guess, you know, historically that position belonged to Dr. Um, George Frizen. And so he's been in the news a lot. And he's been highlighted this year because he passed away last year. But he was, you know, just uh, his contribution to Wyoming archaeology was oh, extremely significant. Absolutely. So, Didn't they just name a building after him? Yeah, I believe so down there. At the uh, University. Yeah, he yeah. kind of helped kick the majority of everything that we've got going off mm-hmm. in the very beginning, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Now, now, what are the dates for our meeting? So this Friday is when everything kicks off. I believe that's April 29th, April 30th, and May 1st. And on Sunday, there's a historic firearms demonstration with um, Dr. Spencer Pelton and Dr. Cody Newton. And I think that's another thing that this community would just really enjoy is seeing and hearing them talk about the ballistics and everything that goes into how do you study historic firearms. That that would be amazing. Right. Uh, you know, and I think that's enough just to get some some of these kids interested. How do, how do we study that kind of stuff? Because every object kind of has its own little minutiae, doesn't it? Yeah. What is the oldest object either one of you ladies have ever uh, ever observed? Ooh. I know one of my first projects out here, um, I didn't find it, but my coworker did. It was a piece of steatite, which is um, basically they took a rock and carved it into a bowl. So you can imagine the work that went into oh, that. Oh, my goodness. So it, that is a, a unique kind of artifact to this region, and it's, it, it's so rare to find it in the field. And so we had actually found it and, you know, was able to record it. It, it was whole. It was just a fragment. Oh, just so, a fragment, but it was so rare to find a whole one. Yeah, but it was very cool. Because, as we said before, uh, the majority of the time we're studying someone's garbage, yeah. stuff that was thrown out, um, as opposed to, to stuff that they used every single day to the point where it was just dust. But uh, so, are there in these areas uh, when you're studying these areas, and, and there's a long process that a lot of people see, but they don't understand what's going on. You remove dirt so slowly, uh, <laughs> and it's it's like scraping the surface, right? What is that practice called? Excavation. Just excavation? Yeah. Just doing like slow, but it's like one meter by one meter, right? Correct. Yeah, we, we try and, um, you know, that's where the scientific method comes in, so we're able to map the locations of the artifacts and present 
theories on maybe the activity area that was taking place um, and hopefully find some datable features, the depth of the datable material like charcoal um, that can help provide us insight into the activities and, and the date range of that of that area. Now, I heard once, and, and I'm looking for a confirmation, that mice skeletons can actually help you date an object. Is that true? Hmm. Well, I think that if you had it in a context where the sediment was undisturbed and you could, you know, you could look at the soil profile and say, all right, you know, this this mouse is contemporaneous and we can say that because the soil looks like it was all deposited at the same time and doesn't have a lot of movement and changes because, uh, you know, mice, you know, or they come and go all the time, right? And they can actually cause damage to buried archaeological sites because they dig and they dig and they disturb the soils and they can bring things up and down and move things throughout the profile as opposed to having a nice, you know, floor. <laughs> yeah. You can think of it like if you were working, you know, in your living room, if all of a sudden, you know, a big windstorm came in and buried it in sand and then 5,000 years later, someone came and excavated that. Kristen, what's the oldest object you've gotten to observe? You know, I I have seen the first Clovis point that was ever found at the museum at the of the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. They had it in the in their back and I got to see like it without any glass in front of it was which was absolutely amazing. But I think maybe the oldest that I, I have found is I did find an end scraper at the Lindenmeyer Folsom site, which is outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, and that site is like the New York City of Folsom sites. <laughs> it was uh, a really, a really large site, and that was something special I got to do in college. Yeah, and uh, what what is Folsom site? What is that? So I think everybody, you know, Clovis would be kind of the earliest accepted technology that we really have. Now we know that they, we had people here before Clovis, but... You know, you have Clovis technology, and then you have Folsom technology, and there's debate whether or not it's just a technology, a stone tool technology, or a distinct cultural tradition. But what would be really characteristic of Folsom would be a fluted projectile point, um, and then they also had really specific nice end scrapers, but the, the Folsom point, and they were Paleo-Indians. Wow. Wow. And and so how old would you say that was in years? Oh, goodness. Like 10,000? 10, 10,000 years old. That is absolutely amazing that we even still have anything from that long. I, You know, it's easy to say 10,000 years, but when you really think about it, yeah. that is a very long time. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we have very little from that time period. Now, when the Wyoming State Historic Preservation Office sponsors a free workshop on the historic preservation, <clears throat> we talked about this a little bit, but can these practices be used to preserve family heirlooms? And by practices, uh, you mean preservation? Yeah, to, to preserve objects, or are we talking like preservation of an entire area as opposed to how to preserve an object. You know, that's a really good question because you're right. There is some distinction there. I think preservation of artifacts or curation, um, that's a whole other right? presentation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, even the Museum of the Bighorns could probably talk to you more about 
family heirlooms. Jessica Salzman, she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that is important, right? The photographs, um, things that are passed down from our grandmothers, their crockware. Um, there's there's uniqueness and there's importance to that too. But I think the um, purpose of this workshop is to really focus on the community's values in preservation uh, and highlighting what's important to, to us as a community and what's the best way forward to preserve it. Um, and I think especially it's a relevant conversation in these times where we're seeing a lot of development bumping up against our, our cultural heritage and our cultural resources. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, when we talk about the, the paper presentations that are going to be made by, by students and archaeologists, are a lot of these ongoing studies or are these ones all finished up? Um, you know, sometimes they do, they focus on completed studies, um, but oftentimes because of the timing of the conference, you will catch um, people that are proposing theories based on the research that they've completed, but may not be 100% finished, or the, the data analysis may not be 100% finished. Um, so I think um, the benefit of researchers doing a presentation in the middle of research is they get a lot of feedback from other professionals or people throughout the community who might be knowledgeable about an area um, and could, could say, oh, I remember, you know, my grandmother walking out there at uh, that site outside of town and they found X, Y, and Z and, you know, the, the researcher may not be aware. And so um, that is the other reason why these conversations between community members and professionals are so important. And I know there's a lot of individuals out there who mm -hmm. listen to this radio station that have actually found arrowheads or, or objects and, and you know, not maliciously taken them or anything, but just thought, wow, that's pretty cool right here on my land. And then you pick it up and take it home. And this gives them an opportunity. Uh, if I have an object and, and I want to attend this, can I bring that and just say, guys, I found it here and uh, – what do you guys think? You know, that's a great idea. We should have like a show and tell with professionals at one point. I know the Park County chapter of the Wyoming Archaeological Society has proposed something like that. I don't know. I think it's coming up soon this summer. It'll be really interesting to see how that um, how that program works out for them. I think a, a lot of people have got a lot of stuff that they've yeah. gathered through the years, and they're just curious about it. Oh, you sure. know? Now, uh, real quick, one more time, give me the dates and how the heck do I register to attend this? Yeah, April 29th through May 1st. Uh, you know, it starts at 8 a.m. on Friday with this um, workshop sponsored by the Wyoming Historic Preservation Commission. runs through all day Saturday uh, into the evening with the banquet and then Sunday morning with the historic firearms presentation. And you can actually go to the Wyoming Archaeological Society.org website and register um, and, you know, or you can show up that day and pay your registration fees. I think the only thing that would inhibit you you know, would might be attending the banquet if you register last minute because of the food situation. But, um, yeah. I think this is going to be a fantastic meeting. Uh, I hope you guys uh, get to d discover new things, uh, even even at the meeting. Um, all right. Kristen, Christine, thank you both so much for attending thank this you. morning. All right. This has been Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Shared.
Building wealth isn't easy. It takes hard work, commitment, and expertise. That's where Eliason Financial comes in. Let our advisors help ensure your money works just as hard as you do. So retirement, college funds, and big family vacations stay on track, no matter what surprises come your way. To learn more about who we are and what our wealth management advisors can do for you, visit Eliason Financial online or call 307-672-3010. Security is offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Pittsburgh Paint, with over 135 years of product expertise, is now available at the Sheridan Commercial Company. Hi, Kurt Smith here. You will now find Pittsburgh Paint at the Sheridan Commercial Company. Pittsburgh Paint is a leader in quality and product innovation and built to perform for the job at hand. Now with two great paint brands, precise color matching, architectural and homeowner paints and coatings, plus a large inventory, it only makes sense to get your paint at the Sheridan Commercial Company at 303 Broadway. Open seven days a week. Is it time for a career change? McDonald's restaurants in Sheridan and Buffalo are currently looking to fill shift management positions that pay up to $18 per hour, and you can work today and get paid tomorrow. Improve your life with a new career. Benefits include IRA contributions, health insurance, paid vacations, tuition assistance, flexible scheduling, food discounts, and up to $18 per hour. Apply today in person for a shift management career at McDonald's in Sheridan. Birds of a feather will flock together on Thursday, April 28th as Science Kids and Sheridan Community Land Trust host Unplug with Discovery Sessions, Herons at Home. From 5 to 6 p.m., Dr. Julie Reeder will share stories about the fascinating lives of herons while we observe these majestic yet lumbering feathered friends prep their rookery. Park and meet at Sportsman's Warehouse, and we'll see you on Thursday, April 28th. More info at SheridanCLT.com. Hi, I'm Sheridan Mayor Rich Bridger. Sheridan is one of the best places to call home in Wyoming. With beautiful parks, fantastic pathways, and great people, all surrounded by rolling hills and the majestic bighorns. I'm here to invite you to pitch in and help spruce up our little part of the world with some spring cleaning and participation in the annual Trees for Trash program. It's easy and it's free, and you'll receive a Siberian spruce ceiling for helping out. Just bring your load of trash to the city landfill on East Ridge Road between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. to get your free tree and a smile on the way out. Let's recognize this year's Trees for Trash sponsors with a big thank you to Sheridan Media, ERA Carroll Realty, U.S. Bank, Wyoming Corporate Office, Landon's Greenhouse and Nursery, and, of course, the city of Sheridan. Mark your calendar now, Saturday, May 7th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Sheridan City Landfill for the 2022 Sheridan Media Trees for Trash. Broadcasting from the Jill Bates and Best Team Studio, brokered by EXP. K-R-O-B. 